And this is live. Hello, everyone. Today is November 17th, and this is episode 24 of All Things Doxis. I'm Brady Volt, founder of Voltfound and member of this. Today, we have a great episode for you on Doxis 3.1. We have some great guests with us. We have a John Downey, CMTS technical leader at Cisco. John, welcome back. <laughs> Good to be back, as usual. Also is Jeff Riddle. Solutions Architect at Cisco Systems. Jeff, good to have you on. Hey, everybody. And there you go. <laughs> is it going up? Technical difficulties there. And last but not least is Jason Miller, Technical Marketing Engineer at Cisco Systems. Jason, welcome. Thanks, Brady. Also is Jeff Riddle. Oh, you guys hear me? Hold on one second here. Have you on? I think I think I, I have a, a technical system going on here. <laughs> it's crazy here. Okay. <laughs> we'll just talk amongst ourselves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure where it's coming from. One one second here. All right. Okay. So, we got that. Yeah. All right. Okay. You good? Are you good? Yeah, yeah. We're we're all good. So um. <laughs> we have uh, three of us in the same room, but on three different PCs. So we have to kind of manipulate our microphone and and, and speakers as we go back and forth. Um. So Jeff, Jason, and I are all in Research Triangle Park, Raleigh-Dorham area. So Cisco has a 12-building campus here. And we're all gathered together to do some testing and troubleshooting this week on some DOCSIS 3.1 stuff. So that's why we're all – you'll see my backdrop different from my house. <laughs> I usually have a bird in the background and dogs and grandfather clock and all kinds of other stuff going off. Yeah, yeah. So um, so the topic today is DOCSIS 3.1, which is why we got all you guys together. And John and Jason, I heard uh, – Cisco had a few cool demos at SCT Expo this year. You guys want to share some of that? Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll talk real quick and then pass it over to Jason because he was actually there. This is probably one of the first SCTs I haven't gone to in like 20 years. Um, I just had no desire to go to Philadelphia again. Uh, and there was a lot of us stuff going on. Uh, but we pre-demoed or staged the demos in Atlanta a couple weeks before that. And uh, we set up really for three specific demos. That was DOCSIS 3.1 Upstream to show we could do OFDMA and how far we are along. Uh, we showed DOCSIS 3.1 Downstream as usual, but you know it's it's nothing new there anymore. <laughs> We're deploying DOCSIS 3.1 Downstream now, so it's really not that new. Uh, but we did show two OFDM blocks, 192 megahertz apiece, uh, with 32 single carrier qualms all cross bonded. I believe uh, we showed almost five gig across two modems, so 2.5 gig per modem. Um, you know, these new 3.1 modems only have four gig e-ports, so, and you only get about 960, 970 meg per gig e-port. So we were getting about, I think, 2.5 gig per modem, two modems, five gig, somewhere in that range. Um, the other one was we did remote phi, so to show that we are getting further along with remote phi, so you take the, the phi chip and putting it out in the node or a 1RU shelf, 
And then we also showed the virtual CMTS. So that takes remote phi one more step where you're taking the phi layer, moving it out, but now the CMTS is just packet processing. It could be a server. So you don't really need a CMTS anymore. So the virtual CMTS is like taking a server and putting code on it that looks like a CMTS code and now talking through gigabit ethernet uh, through a Metro ethernet link or whatever, talking to remote phi nodes. And that was sort of the demos we gave. I want to pass it over to Jason. He can elaborate a little bit too. Yeah, no, I think those, those were the demos that we had. I think the, the virtual CMTS as well obviously requires the remote five uh, components on it. But um, uh, the, both the ones we were running, we were both running the remote five and the integrated CMTS out of our same CCAP platform. That we were doing the demo as well. Okay. Um, Jason, you also did some DOCSIS 3.1 testing uh, at the at customer sites, right? So, you know, some of this is, it's not just in a lab, it's it's actually in the real world, correct? Right, we did. Matter of fact, uh, I co-presented with the, the customer, Abby Bitco, um, at, at SCTE on, on our early field trials that we've done with DOCSIS 3.1. How's that, how's that going? So what, what's it look like in the field? <laughs> I got somewhat talking about it. I'm sure you can hear me from this one too. Uh, before you go down that route, I wanted Jason to elaborate on what we, what speed we saw on Doxus 3.1 and kind of talk about that a little bit more before we go into the okay. plan. Yeah, on the on the downstream or the upstream? Upstream. Yeah, the Doxus 3.1 upstream. On there, the, the modems we were using only ran to 5 to 85 megahertz. So even though we had a 96 megahertz wide channel option, I think we ran it from somewhere like 15 to, to 80, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so we did about 75 megahertz worth of OFDM spectrum, um, OFDMA spectrum. We were getting about 450 um, megabits per second. We run that across two modems when we did that. Okay, so you're, you're doing OFDMA in the upstream now. We are, yeah. Well, uh, certainly on the, at the show we are doing it. We have, we're doing some early stuff now, but in production deployments, DOCSIS 3.1 downstream, OFDMA is, uh, we're running that on the box now, yes, the hardware, that's the same hardware that we've been having to do that, but now actually have some of the software functionality turned up. Okay, that's actually really great to hear. So, because, I mean, yeah. OFDM in the downstream has been a lot more prevalent, but we've, we're not hearing as much about OFDMA in the upstream. Right, and that was what kind of predicated some of the testing out here in RTP is to um, um, play around with some of that in addition to some other things. Kind of to, what we usually do is we try to get a a spreadsheet together between us to kind of figure out what's the expected speeds and then go and kind of start doing some testing to see if we're kind of measuring up to that and if we change these parameters do they do they reflect the changes in speeds we expect so right okay i understand that's that's a that's awesome to hear that's happening yeah but yes on that we are doing on the downstream obviously like to your point a lot further along so we've been doing that um, even in you know h and deployments out across hfc plans on there Right. Now, is there anything else that John wants you to cover before we can move on to customer testing in, in, the, in the plant? <laughs> so, as I, as I roll my chair up on you, this is how I roll. That's how I roll. <laughs> I'm everywhere. Uh, uh, Jason's done some great stuff with some of our customers in live plant. So, getting some feedback in a real plant, say node plus five, not node plus zero. Not in the lab, but real fiber and real coax. Um, so I, I thought it was kind of interesting. Some of the, and 
some of the uh, manipulation you can do in Box 31 to get maybe different MER readings on some of your subcarriers. So he's going to go over some of that and has a few graphs to show as well. And uh, so he can talk about that. Yeah, so I mean, I think if we're going to talk about MER reading for subcarrier, I think we should also explain why it's important um, to read MER per subcarrier versus the way we've done it in the legacy, where with an SC QAM channel that's six megahertz wide, reading MER on a six megahertz wide subcarrier is pretty easy. In a six megahertz chunk, we have a lot more subcarriers uh, that we have to look at, and so that that becomes computationally more difficult and more challenging for the cable operator, right? So. Um, maybe you guys can elaborate on that when you get into that part of the discussion. Yeah, okay. So please go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to say, uh, even initially, I, I think some of the deployments we see, which are probably in line with everything else, um, which maybe people expected it, maybe they didn't, some of the things that we saw were uh, maybe a pleasant surprise. We always were kind of thinking that if your plant could do 256 QAM, then 1024 QAM with the inherent the addition of low density parity check would enable you to do that. Um, we were actually seeing, you know, better performance in that. Oftentimes 2048, and on some of the shorter plant, we were seeing 4096 QAM. So that was a pleasant surprise in their deployments. And it was actually Doctors 3.1 was running higher order modulations than maybe what we originally expected. So I, I think that's really consistent. Um, I, I was at SCT Expo and you know there was a, a morning breakfast panel we had and we were talking about DOCSIS 3.1 deployments that um, primarily Comcast was doing. But they said they were seeing pretty much the same thing, actually better performance of DOCSIS 3.1 in the downstream than what they had expected. You know, right. Where they were expecting to do 1024 QAM, they were doing maybe 2048 or even 4096 QAM in the downstream. The LDPC was working that well, OFDMA or OFDM in the downstream was working that well. So very consistent with what you're saying. Exactly. I think one of the other things that was kind of, I won't say it was an eye-opener for me, but I think for the industry that we'll have to kind of keep an eye on is um, when we do run low-density parity check, it is just more robust at correcting errors. It doesn't actually keep the errors from happening. So correctable FEC errors are going to be a normal course of business where back in the Doxus 3.0 days, if you were seeing correctable FEC errors, that was usually a, a precursor to other problems, and you usually wanted to go out and try to address it. And now I think just seeing correctable FEC errors, as much as 100% of the code words being having at least some kind of errors, is going to be a norm in Doxus 3.1. So, I mean, how does that show up? We're, we're used to seeing correctable and uncorrectable FEC on a CMTS. You know, we, we see that on the counters and stuff. We track that. Is it the same way with DOCSIS 3.1? Do we still see correctable and uncorrectable FEC errors or code word errors as, as we may see it on a system? Or is it, is it now different? It's, no, it's, going to look, it's still going to be code word errors. I think some of the things, you know, we're all kind of getting our together as we move into more of the DOCSIS 3.1. Um, originally, when we were doing some of our testing, maybe some of the SNMP MIBs coming back from the modem, because obviously, since it's on the downstream side, it's the modem that's going to be the one to determine whether there was correctable or uncorrectable errors. And some of those MIBs sometimes were a little off. Oftentimes, what we would have to do while we were going out and doing some of our testing was actually get into the modem either through console or telnet and, and get the, uh, the, the, the information directly off the modem as far as the uh, we would see the total blocks that were sent, code words, and then how many were errored, or how many had correctable errors, and then how many had uncorrectable errors. And even though we saw very high correctable error counts, we saw next to no uh, uncorrectable errors. This is on DOCSIS 3.1, you're DOCSIS saying? DOCSIS 3.1, yeah, exactly. Okay. So, so, I mean, 
it's, it's still going to be kind of apples to apples, or it's going to be a similar scenario. Just we're going to see a lot more errors than what we were used to seeing before. I think I think the point that uh, that Jason's trying to make is, you know, with Doxus 2.0 and 3.0, we would always see correctable, and eventually it would lead to uncorrectable. And we would always say, you know what, 5%, 10% correctable eventually is going to probably lead into 1% uncorrectable or at some point, right? I think because of the low density parity check and how 3.1 works, we're not sure yet. I mean, this is part of the, the, the growing, right? Learning as we do this stuff in best practices. We're seeing more correctable, but not uncorrectable. Like, I can't say 30% correctable, the sky is falling, it's going to lead to uncorrectable because with 3.1, maybe I will see a higher percentage of correctable, but I don't have to act on it like I would for 3.0 or 2.0. And, and that's what we're trying to get our heads wrapped around a little bit is we might inherently see higher correctable fact uh, because a couple blips here and there, but that's not a... That's not a reason for us to start ripping everything apart or saying the plan is bad. You know, the sky is falling. Um, so it's, it could be S&P. It could be cosmetic. It could be just the way it is. It is what it is. Uh, and that's what we're getting at, I believe. I'm going to go back to Jason. Okay. So, so what's the deployment look like now? I mean, are we seeing lots of paying customers deploying uh, the, this equipment at this point? Or are we still mostly demoing and, and, and stuff. Yeah. So, so certainly in their case, most of what they were doing was still friendlies, employees. Um, a, a lot of that really just stemmed out of the fact they were having some issues just getting their hands on cable modems, DOCSIS 3.1 cable modems. So you can't really have a you know, big deployment when really all you get your hands on is maybe 20 cable modems for some testing. So that was kind of their initial things. I think recently they've just gotten some more cable modems in, maybe like a couple hundred. So where they could start doing more of a production deployment, paying customers. Okay. And how about, um, like, what, what frequency bands are our customers, our operators deploying DOCSIS 3.1? I would say both in the downstream and even in the upstream. Yeah. On the, obviously, on the, the customer-wise, on the, uh, uh, everything's been on the upstream side. Let me see. I was going to show you some of the, uh, some of the graphics that we might have had to run. Uh, let me pass over to me for a second. Yep. All right. So it, it's interesting, you know, on the upstream, we don't really have much spectrum to deal with anyway. There's only like two systems I deal with that are 585 megahertz, and none of them are in the U.S. Uh, so there might be a couple looking at 585 megahertz. Uh, and then obviously DOCS 3.1 spec goes a 204-254 split, but I think by the time we even think about a 204-254 split, we'll start looking into FDX, you know, full duplex, uh, full duplex DOCSIS where we don't really have diplex voters, but now we're talking about node plus zero probably. Um, so that's further down the road just to get more upstream speed. Um, with downstream, that's sort of where I'm leading in the downstream spectrum analysis. Uh, if you look at the 3.1 spec, it says the 3.1 modem must support 258 megahertz to 1.218 gigahertz, but it says it may support 108 like DOCSIS 2.0 and DOCSIS 3.0. Um, so we are see, seeing some customers saying, well, you know what, I'm going to put my OFDM block, my DOCSIS 3.1 downstream block, up at the high end because that's where I have open spectrum. But they might be doing some analog reclamation and have low-end frequencies that are open now and might put the OFDM block down there at, say, 258 to 450, 192 megahertz block. Um, so assuming they go all digital and there's no analog anymore, 
maybe that's where the spectrum opens up. So the question becomes, where is it better to put it? On the high end, the low end? And if you're cross-bonding with your single carrier qualms, do they really need to be contiguous? Do you care? Uh, could the OFDM block be down at 258 and the single carrier qualms are up at 650? You know, is there a concern there? Um, and I think, you know, that's kind of the, some of the things we're seeing in, in some of the results is we start in the high end, but some systems are looking to put it at the low end because power levels are better and better MER readings. I'm going to pass it back to Jason. Yeah, I was going to say for, for their deployment too, I guess kind of like anybody, you uh, they initially deployed where they had some spectrum and actually some of the initial spectrum was beyond a roll off. They had a, a, a kind of a 750 plant that had been up, upgraded to eight. Uh, H60, but they were actually running their frequencies all the way out to like 910 megahertz. So um, this one part of this graph here, are you, yeah, are you seeing it? Yes, yeah. I see the graph. Yeah, okay, so like part of this one here, we first deployed it, and these are the even to your points of your subcarriers. They were running like 144 megahertz wide channel, and anything that was out here maybe above subcarrier 3000 was out into the roll off above 860, and um, they certainly saw some degraded part there, but they were still able to run 1024 qualm out there in the roll-off. Um, they just weren't, weren't able to run that at a higher order modulation. So you pass it back to me? Yep. That, that up. All right, so those graphs, as an RF guy, you might think of it like a frequency versus amplitude, but it's not. That information is being grabbed from the cable modem. The cable modem reports MER readings on a subcarrier basis, so there might be 4,000 subcarriers there. We're getting the MER rate readings, running it through a Python script, and then we're graphing it out. So that's actually MER versus uh, the subcarriers. Also, oh, the top graph is MER versus subcarriers. Yes. Yes. So, uh, so don't be confused when you look at that and think that's the in-channel frequency response. Right. Now I understand more how to like, interpret it. More like the in-channel MER response. Right. So I'll go back to Jason now. But, but what we would do then with this part of it would be, and the reason we were uh, kind of for us, back to your point, you know, there's certainly things you want to measure. For our particular value, when we were first doing this testing, we were very interested in what those received MER values were per subcarrier so that we could start seeing as we made changes to the configurations, what kind of impact would they have. And one of the biggest ones that we changed um, initially with these guys would be with some things around cyclic prefix. So the cyclic prefix makes the channel more robust to um, uh, some of the uh, micro-reflections, et cetera. And on here, you could see that certainly there was roll-off towards the end of that spectrum because that was, uh, or we had lower received MER values towards the end of the spectrum, but that was just because that's the way the channel was, because um, it was into the roll-off. The, um, as we saw the beginning part, though, we assume that might have been more a factor of some micro-reflection. So this is with the cyclic prefix of 192, milli, uh, 192 samples. As we moved it to 512, and you could see at the beginning part of the spectrum, that cleaned that out and actually bumped the, uh, the average receive MER up about 3 dB for that particular uh, carrier. Okay, let, let's hold okay, on a second. Hold on a second. I, I'd like to I'd try like to... Try to Summarize this for people who are listening to just the podcast. So the first graph that we shot, uh, showed looked like there was about uh, 3,000 subcarriers whose MER uh, rolls off at the lower end of the subcarriers down to about mm, 27 dB MER, and that ramps up 
to about maybe a little higher than 35 dB MER all the way across to the higher frequencies and then it starts to roll off or you're saying that we're actually going higher in frequency than what the RF amplifier can support. So, so we're actually able to run an OFDM signal beyond the frequency range of what the amplifier can carry and we're right. doing that at a relatively high MER, higher than 30 dB, is that correct? That's right, exactly. And then the next slide that you went to, you, you made a change. I wasn't sure what the change that you did, but this change, we have 40 dB MER in frequency across the band all the way out past the, the frequency with which the amplifier can carry for 3,000 subcarriers. It does, it does drop a little bit at the very end to 35 right. dB MER, but this is still really good MER. Right. And so what, what change did you make that we yep. have now really good MER out past the frequency with which the RF amplifier can change, higher than 35 dB MER? Right. So on the OFDM channel itself, we have a setting for cyclic prefix. And the cyclic prefix on the first one was 192, which would be the, the minimum cyclic prefix. Um, as you increase the cyclic prefix, you add a little bit of overhead so that your the channel can't run as fast. But in this graph we have here, this graph is actually when we change, we bump the cyclic prefix up to 512. Um, that is, it increases it so that this channel would be uh, more robust against micro reflections. To be honest, whether that was actually happened or not, I, I don't know, but we it was clear that we saw an increase in the re receive MER performance on the lower subcarriers by bumping up that cyclic prefix. Okay, so basically you learn that you can tweak the OFDM channel, so you trade off bandwidth to get a really a massive improvement in MER so that you can run a higher order modulation, which would increase the amount of data that you can transmit <laughs> through uh, the, the, the pipe. Is that, is that what you're telling me? It's ironic. It's like you have some tweaks you could do, which is robustness versus speed, right? The trade-off. But by doing but that, it, you get more speed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and in, in the return, we end up with more speed because we can now support higher modulation schemes. Right. Right. I mean, it's almost counterintuitive. It's like, okay, I'm going to lose speed. And then by doing so, I'm going to get higher MER, which gives me more speed, which is totally right. cool. But what, one of the things on this particular one, too, was um, th this might have been, um, I think it might have been like a five or six amp cascade. Um, we looked at some other modems that were at, but, you know, employees' homes that were closer, well, maybe they didn't need to see, they didn't see the same benefit for a 512 cyclic prefix. Maybe uh, they saw it for a lower value. Right. Um, one thing that was kind of interesting, too, so originally they were they were in the middle, while they were doing this particular testing, they were in the middle of doing some analog reclamation. Once they completed that, well, then they no longer needed to keep this spectrum at the top, you know, or use the OFDM channel at the top of the spectrum. So this is the same location, but now they moved it down. I don't have what the frequencies were, but clearly it's down into the lower part, maybe somewhere around 400 megahertz in their plant. So now it's clearly within their guard bands, and you can see now where before that modem was able to run 2048. Um, now this modem is able to run 4096 qualm because of the bump up in the, uh, the signal noise ratio. Right, now you're showing higher than 40 dB MER a whole way across the band, but you're showing a notch um, about a third of the way in. So, wow. so why are you showing the notch in the uh, middle, not quite the middle of the OFDM spectrum, but you're showing a notch there. What does that tell right. us? 
for, for there, they were still they still had an analog carrier that they were using for uh, AGC, I assume. So they had to notch out around that so that they didn't interfere with that. So that's what you're seeing there. So that's awesome. That's awesome that we can do that with Doctors yeah. 310 FDM channels. We they don't have to move their pilot. You're basically talking about the pilot for the AGC. We can yep. just notch that right out around there and deliver Doxus 3.1 on the downstream. Right. And one of the things that I also started seeing that this was so much cleaner than what we saw before, I was wondering that if we could maybe drop that cyclic prefix back down to 192, maybe we could gain that overhead back in that channel. But, but clearly not the case. So this is when I dropped that cyclic prefix back to 192. You could still see that there's still some some rounding off or some lower values for those lower subcarriers. Right. And so for our audio only listeners, when we drop the cyclic prefix down, we're basically seeing that portions of the OFDM spectrum have dropped in MER all the way down to 30 dB MER in some places. In others, they're up at 40. But um, definitely we lost bandwidth or we lost data throughput by dropping the cyclic prefix down. Now I have a question. When you drop the cyclic prefix, are you doing this in the CMTS? Is this like a command line feature in the CMTS? Yes. In the CMTS, we, we define an OFDM channel profile that has the parameters like um, whether we're going to run, you know, what type of data profiles we're going to have. Obviously, we could have multiple data profiles, which is one of the benefits of Doxus 3.1. But in there, we also have these settings for things like cyclic prefix, roll-off, whether we want 50 kilohertz spacing or 25 kilohertz spacing for the subcares. So that's a one command that we do in the CMTS, and then that pushes it out to all the cable modems on that downstream OFDM channel. So this is kind of like part of modulation profile? Is that where this command yep. goes? It, it is, yep. This is yep. awesome. This is really cool stuff to see. It almost looks like that that rolling off or lower MBR is almost like a group to layer microreflection. Right. You know what I mean? Like you're getting lower MBR. Obviously, we don't have more noise there, but we're getting closer to where we have, in essence, almost like filters, exclusion bands, or potentially this, the AGC pilot is interfering maybe. Uh, but in this case, when we just change the cyclic prefix, yeah. it looks nice and flat in one case. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's pretty, uh, you know, it was, it was, those are some of the things that we certainly gathered a lot of stuff that it's difficult to see that in a lab environment where you don't have a live plant. Whereas when you start doing it in the plant, uh, they were great enough to work with us and let us play around with some of these values. And it was part of the things that we included in the, uh, in the white paper that went along with our presentation for SCTE cable tech. Right. So, so was, was there any other like amazingly awesome, cool discoveries that you guys noticed in the testing, like the cyclic prefix change that you did here? Um, I think that was probably the, the, the one of the biggest ones that we I didn't know about till we started testing. I would certainly think being able to support a higher order modulation was a pleasant surprise. I wasn't necessarily expecting that, so those yeah. are probably the big ones. Okay, certainly some tuning that needs to be done still. Very cool. Very cool. So, with uh, anything else on the graphs before we move on, because I'm I'm kind of interested in like how licensing and everything works on this compared to what it was on the 10K platform and stuff. Um, nope. Because um, uh, you know it's like it, it's easy to understand doing like single channel qualm licensing stuff, but when you do a whole OFDM channel, does so, that change? I'm, I'm done. Sorry, I had it on. Uh, I had it on mute. Oh.
No, no problem. Um, I was I was asking you. I remember, like on a 10K and RF Gateway 10, the the way the licensing would be handled on a per line card basis. Is that going to be the same way with in on the Doctors 3.1 CBR8 platform? Yeah, I'm gonna let Jeff uh, comment on it. Hey, yeah. Jeff. Fortunately, fortunately, the answer to that is a is a hard no. Um, <laughs> yes, the other day I did. Uh, Associate the licenses directly with the hardware, whereas with the CPRA, we moved to this new thing called smart licensing, where licenses are just aggregated and reported usage to the Cisco back end and kept track of there. So you can replace line cards, do line card failovers, et cetera, turn on turn on uh, features and, and qualms without having to go through the hassle of uh, upgrading hardware licenses. So I actually see that as a, as a benefit, right? Oh yeah, it's the big benefit. Yeah, much, much, much easier to deal with. Good, excellent. I like that. Um, any updates on video encryption or video in general? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so we, you know, as, as of this past summer, we issued a release that to support uh, both um, power key and PME encryption for for uh, video on demand and, and switch digital. Well, actually, for video demand services, we also do support switch digital video and broadcast, pre-encrypted broadcast as well. Uh, we're just coming up with a release later this month that will have the first support for DBB encryption. DBB. Yep. Yeah. All right. Excellent. Because, I mean, video is becoming a, at least IP video is becoming a, a thing that a lot of customers are, are looking to do over, over CCAP devices. So, okay. Anything else on that? Um, Listen, John, Jason. No, I mean, I think the, the licensing being a pool of license, uh, it makes it much simpler, a lot simpler. Um, 3.1, we also noticed that uh, our, our own licensing on 3.1 is going to be in, in increments of 6 megahertz. But um, it's for the whole chassis. So you might turn on an OFDM block that's 144 megahertz wide on eight cables you have to add it all up but it's not just eight times the 144 divided by six that's how many license we actually license on the usable spectrum of the 144 so jason was talking about the roll off or the cyclic prefix we have this taper region uh i think we're calling it now so out of the 144 megahertz really you might only be using 142 megahertz of usable subcarrier subcarriers you understand Yep. Then you divide that by six while you add it all up with the whole box, divide by six, and then we round it down to the lower integer of six. And that, that's the number of licenses. So, for instance, a 192 megahertz block is the equivalent of 32 single carrier qualms, right? It's, it's equivalent spectrum. Mm -hmm. If you take 32 times six, it's 192 megahertz. Well, it turns out on 192 megahertz with the guard band, and we do all the math, it turns out to be. 30 license, I believe. 30 license? Or 31. 31. Yeah, it's, it's, it's 31. Couple, yeah. yeah, it's but, like but a, as, you, as you add up more ports with that, then you'll, yeah, it might be less, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I just find that um, it, there might be a slight increase in the 3.1 license cost over 3.0, but then we're also rounding down, so, and, so I'm not paying for guard band. You understand what I'm saying? Like, yeah. even though it's 192 megahertz, you're actually paying for the usable spectrum, the usable sub subcarriers, which is kind of an interesting way to go about it. But it's 
I'm finding it's uh, licensing being as a big pool is much simpler than than how it used to be on the 10K and RFK with 10. So how would it work with a virtual um, CCAP device then with, with licensing? Because you're, I mean, it's not really, well, there's hardware involved, right? There's physical ports, but it's like you said, it's almost like a server. Because it's not, it's not released yet. My understanding, I think it's the way it will go would be, it would all be software. And even though the RF is coming, is hardware coming out of a node or whatever, you wouldn't be licensing RF. You'd be licensing the control of that RF. So you would have a license on the virtual server. You know, you'd have the virtual you know, a license on the CMTS controlling the qualms coming out of the node. You wouldn't be charged for the RF being activated on the node. Do you understand? Makes sense. Yeah. yeah, it makes sense. I just I I I, I want to dox this three dot one CMTS. So I want to I want to <laughs> download it. <laughs> I'll give you the software version. <laughs> <laughs> so. All right, John. So, what keeps you up at night with Doxis and talking to your customers? All right, I'm switching over back to mine. Uh, you should be able to see me now. Yep. Can you see yeah. me now? So, um, one of the biggest ones I've been coming up with lately was uh, monitoring, uh, operational monitoring on the CMTS. Meaning, are cable modems doing what you think they're supposed to be doing? You could have a 3.0 modem that should say W online, but it's actually online which is not a good sign. It's not a good state. It's basically operating as a Doxus 2 modem. So if that modem is a paying customer for 100 meg service and he's, he's registered as a 2 modem, the most he's going to get is 30 meg. And if he gets the 30 meg, he's going to starve out everybody else on that one downstream because he only supports one downstream. And if that's the case, then load balance kicks in. So this one modem that didn't register properly is also affecting other people and affecting load balancing. So it's a, like a domino effect. So to me, we need better, we need to be more proactive in monitoring our CMTS for proper operation, uh, flags, alarms, SNMP, proactive maintenance, all that stuff. So I'm, I'm seeing, I have another example for you. I have modems that say uh, uh, slash UB, meaning upstream bonding. And then I do a showcam modem wideband channel command, and I notice they're saying eight by one. Well, eight by one is not a good state. So by default in our CMTS, we have single channel bonding groups on the upstream. And we do it on purpose because scheduled flows like voice don't get bonded on the upstream. To guarantee jitter and latency, we push them on a the single channel upstream bonding group. So a 3.0 EMTA, if it has a voice call, it'll go up a single channel bonding group. So you could have a modem that says UB upstream bonding and you assume it's doing four-channel upstream bonding, and it's not. It could be doing single-channel. So unless you know to look for that, you might not have any alarms pop up, and modems could be eight-by-one mode, and you don't even know it. And if it's eight-by-one mode, then you're not going to get the speed on the upstream you think you're going to get. You're probably only going to get like five meg. Uh, it still says UB, so you think it's doing upstream bonding, and it sort of is, but it's not doing four-channel upstream bonding. So these are the type of things that kind of, I've been tracking lately and trying to help customers understand, do you have a denial of service attack on your CMTS? Uh, is it taking a lot longer for devices to register? Are modems even bonding in 24 channel or is it an eight channel? Um, if you have 32 channel bonded modems out there, but you don't make a 32 channel bonding group, they should lock onto the 24 channel bonding group. If not, you should understand why. So 
I'm seeing cases where devices are not registering in the proper bonding groups or load balancing is not configured correctly and then the modem gets tagged with a certain tag or parameter and gets pushed into a load balance group which then restricts it from doing the proper bonding. So there's a lot of little tweaks that you can do. You know the old saying, I give you enough rope to hang yourself. <laughs> well, that's what's happening is there's a lot of functionality in Doxis. There's a lot of features and tweaks. And I like those features and tweaks for power users, people that know what's going on. So you want your defaults to be idiot-proof. Don't want to use that term, but you want to make the defaults that you can plug and play. But then people will start manipulating some settings or not understanding the defaults. Uh, so then we come up with best practices. So that's what Jason and I and Jeff Forehand and Jeff Riddell, we all end up being kind of liaison with the customer and saying, all right, here's what we see in other customer sites. Here's what we see in the cable plant. Here's the pros and cons to tweaking these different things. I can't really tell people exactly what to do, but I like to just tell them, here are the pros and cons. Like Jason just mentioned, the cyclic prefix. That's something new that's happening with Doxis 3.1. What are the pros and cons? Well, you can increase it, give you better robustness to maybe uh, uh, micro-reflections, but you're going to lose some speed. But on the flip side of that, getting better MER might allow you to go to higher modulation, which gets you speed back. So, you know, there's pros and cons to everything we do. Right. So that's what's right. kind of been keeping me up is uh, explaining to people how to monitor the CMTS for proper operation, modems that are not in the right mode, not doing the correct bonding, um, modems in partial mode, how load balancing is working. Um, it's, it's all those little things. So is that what some of the so testing are doing in the RT this week? Yeah, I mean, trying to, uh, Jason mentioned, we have our own little spreadsheet to calculate upstream and downstream speed with different settings for three ones. And uh, it's like, how do you prove your spreadsheet is right unless you actually do real testing? And the odd thing about testing, you know, when we do speed testing, are you doing UDP or TCP testing? We want to do UDP testing, so it's individual downstream or upstream, not not downstream testing is affecting upstream. You understand? Like with TCP, downstream traffic makes upstream acknowledgments, and we don't want to do that. So we make sure our test equipment can do UDP. We do with the biggest frames possible, 15, 18, or 1500 byte Ethernet frames. Um, we tweak a few settings to see if we can get better speed, but when you do individual modem testing, that might not be true to a real cable plant. Normally in a cable plant, you're gonna have many modems doing maybe 10 meg, 100 meg, a gig, but when you try to push line rate to a single modem, then things get a little sketchy. And that's what we're trying to figure out is, you know, what is, if I start doing DOCS 3.1 upstream testing, what is this aggregate pipe worth? Well, with a single modem, what if I only get 200 meg but my calculator says 300 meg. Well, maybe it's because I'm hitting a single modem limitation. So I throw two or three modems on and do 100 meg a piece, and now I'm hitting, say, 285, and my calculator says 300. I'm like, okay, I'm pretty close. So those are the type of things we're doing is trying to prove out uh, how much DOCSIS 3.1 is really worth as far as speed goes. I'm, I'm very confident with DOCSIS 2.0 and 3.0, I know an ATDMA uh, is worth about 27 megabits per second. Eight channel upstream bonding, I can get about 216. We've proved that out, we've tested it, we know the mini slide allocations, uh, we tweak things. We might do it over two or three modems, but it's about it's about 216. With 3.1, you know, those questions are still coming up, is what is it really worth? 
how many subcarriers are really active, how much overhead for the pilots, how much overhead for the roll-off, how much overhead, blah, blah, blah. You know, there's a lot of what-ifs and gotchas and the tweaks. That's what we're trying to figure out. Right. And we didn't even get to, like, how robust it is to different noise. Like, we haven't even got to that point where we want to inject noise in the upstream. On the downstream, Jason's been doing some testing on the downstream, which which I think in one of the last meetings we had I thought was interesting is interleaving is not just time-based interleaving, it's frequency interleaving as well. And OFDM, I think, is inherently better uh, for microreflections and group delay and stuff like that because of subcarriers or whatnot. Uh, did you just whatnot that? <laughs> I just yada, yada, yada. No, 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 <laughs> the whatnot. So we found that the interleaving is not just time-based, but it's frequency-based. When we injected noise, and we inject it in the form of a qualm carrier, and, and Jason could probably show one of his graphs. I'll have him pull it up where he injected six qualm carriers underneath, like six single carrier qualms underneath the OFDM block. And it basically, because MER readings, it looks like qualms going down from the top side because the MERs drop. But you can see where the qualms are. So instead of the qualms coming up underneath like a frequency a frequency plot, it's the MER plot. So it's actually lower MER. And I'll have him pull up the, the graph. What we found was the MER across the whole spectrum still stayed pretty good, even though we know the CNR was much worse where the ingress was. And we believe it's because of the interleaving of, of time and frequency. Kind of like you're spreading the pain out across many more subcarriers. You understand? Like even though I inject noise at this one frequency, because of the interleaving, even though the CNR is pretty bad, the SNR was still reading relatively good, and my profile management was still allowing me to do, say, 1K, 2K, or 4K qualm, even on that spectrum I know had a low CNR. Yeah, so you're basically just saying the OFDM is much more robust to the impairment that's underneath it. So let me, let me go over to Jason's and look at his real quick. Okay, so we have his plot up. Yeah. So, so if you look at the top graph, that would be one, two, three, four five qualms injected underneath and it, if you transpose it on the top like coming down um that's showing lower mers where the qualms are and this right. is a 90 megahertz wide channel this particular example so what's interesting on this graph if i interpret it correctly is it looks like um uh, where the mer is really low you're saying the the, the mer is about 30 db mer exactly where the qualm the sc qualm channels are underneath the ofdm channels and then the mer goes up to like 40 db where there is no sc qualm channels is that correct That's right yep and even where you see the spikes going up that would be in between the qualm interference so the mers are actually good there right so it's 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 amazing that you can put an sc qualm channel underneath an ofdm channel and still get 30 db mer in the on the OFD. Well, no, no, I'm saying no. It's it's showing 30 there, but the average across the whole channel is still showing close to 37. Kind of like, um, um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I guess that's the average for the whole thing. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. we had no uncorrectable effect, and we were still running 4K qualm, right? Well, this, yeah. This was run actually. This this one here, if you're looking at those at the graphs. The, the graph right before, we had a 30 dB pad on that uh, interfering signals. 
we were still running completely clean 4096 qualm. We actually forced the modulation to stay at 4096 qualm and not drop down to a lower data profile. And we still ran through here, certainly high correctable FEC errors, but no uncorrectable FEC errors up until we got to this next point where when we went to 29 dB pad, we started seeing an occasional correctable, uncorrectable FEC error rather. Right. So, so my point, my point, Brady, was we, and then we even tested with speed to make sure like the OFDM block was not like using sub sub carriers and not using the sub carriers where the ingress was. So we knew the traffic was on all the sub carriers, even where you had a 30 dB SNR. So that 30 dB SNR where the ingress was, was still carrying in essence, 4096 qualm uh, traffic. So to say that you could work at 30 dB seems unheard of. Right. Yeah, I, I think we're going to see a lot more of these sort of testimonials like this, where we're seeing an OFDM signal working in really amazingly harsh conditions, but we're still getting very high uh, MER, or very high uh, orders of modulation, and really good data throughput. Um, just because OFDM is so resilient to impairments, is like we are demonstrating in this screen. Yeah. And I think what, what part of this testing was, too, is obviously we have multiple data profiles that we could send out and transmit to modems. And so what we do from the CMTS standpoint, we pull the cable modem to determine what would be the ideal modulation to send out to this cable modem. And we had to do some adjusting on that because it was probably a little bit conservative at the beginning that we, in this particular case, we would have been recommending to run 256 qualm modulation to this cable modem when actually it was still able to support 4096 qualm. So some of this testing was to figure out what was the, the right tweaks that we would need to do for those uh, that those algorithms to, to pick that profile. Right. No, I, I mean, the, the great news here is that so many of us were like, how are our plants ever going to support 4096 qualm and or even, even 1024 qualm? And what we're seeing now is we... It, it not only can we do it, but we, you know, we can do it in many places. We're finding tweaks that we can do to make it do it even better. And, and I think we're just going to continue to do this success or this successfully. Doxus 3.1 is working really, really well. And we're just going to continue to make it perform even better as we learn how to optimize it over time. Yeah, what's a, what, what I see exciting right now is we're working on this uh, graceful profile management where you know we talked about you know we're looking at one or two modems to what Jason is showing but in a real plant you have some modems off the node some modems off the fifth amp cascade so they're obviously going to have worse MERs and some modems are going to have MER that's bad because of a suck out or just noise or whatever um, so the profile management is getting more intelligent even from our side from the CMTS where we could you know, send you a certain profile, send Jason a different profile, and send me a different profile, all on the reporting of our individual MERs for every subcarrier. So we could have different profiles already made up, could be mixed profiles, could be a 4K, a 1K, a 256, whatever. Based on what you report back, I might assign you to that new profile on the fly. Now, what I found out was the modems have to support, I think, four data profiles. Yep. But our CMTS supports like five data profiles. And so if the modem says, all right, I have four data profiles logged into my modem itself already. And it says I have poor MER, so I'm gonna drop from profile four to profile three. It'll do it and maybe I lose one ping or whatever, but it doesn't go offline. 
and it automatically changes to a new downstream profile. So that's kind of cool. Um, the only thing I, I saw is a little bit different as far as layer three drops was if the modem pulls up the four profiles, one, two, three, four, but then we want to push it to profile five, that modem has to pull that new five profile in because it can only store four at a time. And then we end up using a DBC, dynamic bonding change, to get that new profile to it. So if that happens, then we might lose, say, three, four, five seconds of ping. Because when you do a DBC, you're going to end up probably rearranging the upstream, pre-EQ, whatever, uh, and you end up losing layer three ping, maybe two, three, four, five seconds. But the modem stays online, it gets a new profile, he's ready to roll, the downstream's going again. So, I mean, this automated approach of changing the profiles without having to reboot is pretty key. I mean, it's uh, it's uh, <laughs> it's one of those things I find that's going to make it more operational, like a, a real live solution. Now, before we said, ah, we can put Docs 3.1 out there, but what if something's wrong with the OFDM channel? What if something's wrong with the single carrier qualms? What if I have noise? What? Now you have a customer paying more money for higher speed, and it wouldn't work at all. But now with the profile management, you know, we can monitor the modem. The modem's telling us what's going on, and we can push it to a new profile. And the fact that the, I wanted Jason to talk about the PLC. Some of the testing we're doing now is with this PLC, you know, the physical uh, link channel. Physical, physical link, link channel. Physical link channel. Um, we know it's 16 qualm. You can put it in any spectrum you want where you think it's clean for your plant. Uh, we wanted to see what happens if we knock that out. Well, at 16 qualm, it's going to take a lot to knock it out. Uh, so, Jason, that was one of the tests we were doing while we we're here. Jason was messing around with ingress under the PLC. So I'm going to go back to him and let him talk about the PLC. Yeah, one of the things that we weren't quite sure about and it actually, all this testing we originally did around a lot of the noise, we intentionally avoided the PLC because we didn't want to uh, knock down the whole OFDM channel if it was more susceptible to some noise. So um, this round of testing, we also were kind of curious to see the, the, the physical layer link channel itself is only 400 kilohertz, but it occupies, um, well, there's six megahertz of spectrum around it. So we now had a, a single carrier qualm, six megahertz wide that we turned up right on the PLC spectrum. And we kind of wanted to see how far we could go before we actually would lose the, uh, the PLC itself. And um, in this particular one, you could see it looks like the, um, and again, this is all taking received MER values back from the modem and then graphing it out. And that top, top graph where everyone else was more closer to around 40 dB for received MER value, we're down below 15 and we're still running the uh, the PLC without any problems. And, and Brady, you know as well as I, on the upstream 16 qualm, we always would quote, say, 18 dB as a cutoff point. Yeah, but now with the LDB, that, that we would expect 16 qualm, that, that, those modems to be offline. But you're saying these modems are still online with, like, below yeah. 15 dB MER on the PLC. That's right. Um, that but possible? this was right on the <laughs> Once we went back to this particular one, that when we moved it to 10 dB, well, then then the PLC we we lost a lot. So what was the last? What was last? Time? That one was 12. So just a 2 dB, just like the digital cliff effect, right? Oh yeah. We found out where that cliff was, so we changed the padding to make the ingress higher by 2 dB, and then we end up losing the PLC. Yeah. 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 So. But if the break point seems to be a lot lower than you would expect. That's, that's right. And that's kind of what we were seeing. Obviously, in a real world, you wouldn't want to get to that point with your PLC. 
but it is good to know that that can also tolerate uh, quite a bit of noise. Yeah, I mean, to your point, though, that has got to be an amazing amount of noise that you would have to have in the real right. plant in order yeah. to, to knock out a PLC channel, to, to, to knock your plant down to the point of like 13, 12 dB, whatever you're saying that is of MER. That's, right. that's an amazing amount of noise. Yeah, I mean, I was afraid, you know, some people are putting their OFDM block up at the high end, and if the PLC happens to be right at the same frequency as LTE, would LTE end up knocking it out? But being 16 qualm and seeing some of these results, maybe that's not as big of a concern as I thought. I mean, I would still avoid it. You know, ounce prevents where the pound of cure. I would still avoid LTE and, and off-air digital broadcast. But knowing that the breakpoint is so low, um, I was going to be a lot of LTE. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when it, when 3-1 came out, I, I really thought it was an undersight by our own guys, cable labs and the MSOs. Like right now on 3L, you have a, primary downstream one i thought with three one we would come up with an idea of like two primaries <laughs> two plcs like a secondary primary <laughs> like a backup but this is so robust that why would i why would i lose more speed by making another plc right because you're going to lose more speed because you have more uh, unused subcarriers because it's a plc yeah i'm really really surprised by that i'm i'm impressed by yeah. how resilient that is that's awesome it's yeah. a good study so what else? What else is uh, I mean, a lot of good information? What's coming up for you guys now? Um, Jeff stepped out, but I know Jeff is uh, going to be going to Berlin, I believe, in February for Cisco Live. There's a Cisco Live out in, uh, out in Berlin. Um, you know, Jason was at the SCT Expo. Uh, Ron was out there. Jeff was out there. Jeff Horan. So we did a lot of stuff. You were out there, obviously. I think, uh, Brady, you even uh introduced why don't you tell us about that transponder thingy you were working on yeah so we had um worked with hytron they have a, a product called a cmso2 and so that's a cable modem with three extra ports on it that you can switch between with a, an rf switch and it gets mounted into a fiber node or an rf amplifier so we were demoing that at cable tech expo and uh, the ideal place for it, you, know, you put it in amplifiers, it comes online as a cable modem, you don't need any extra head end equipment, and now it's a remote transponder, but it gives you the ability to do full band capture both on the upstream and the downstream of any test point in an amplifier or fiber uh, node. How does it wire in? So it, it uses small little micro, um, I, I forget the, the name. But SMB? Yeah, like they're NCX on the on the uh, on the device side, and then uh, just F connectors that go into the regular test points in the node or or amplifier, and it can even go into a line extender if you want. It gets twenty four volt power off of the the power supply in the amplifier or nodes, so it's powered all internally, and it's rated to industrial grade temperatures, so it goes from minus forty to plus sixty degrees Celsius. So the RF switch is controllable via software, SMP, or? SMP, yes. Okay. So almost like the old wink switches or uh, um, addressable tap or something, you could control it and, and turn certain legs on and off or, or look at individual legs? You can look at each individual leg. I mean, both the, the cable modem, you can look at that, or you can look, the cable modem has a diplex filter, which, you know, gives you some space that you miss, but the other ports on it, have no diflex filter on it. So you can see all the way down from five megahertz up to a gigahertz 
on the test point in the amplifier. So it's a really nice way to, you know, if you have three outputs on your on a trunk, for example, and and you have a lot of return path noise coming back into that trunk amplifier, normally you have to go out to that trunk amplifier and start pulling pads to see which leg the noise is coming from on a trunk. With this, you can just toggle between each three, each return on that trunk and very quickly see, okay, it's, it's, you know, it's coming on a trunk leg or one of the bridge report legs of the trunk amplifier. And you go below five megahertz? It's no, right now. We're, we're talking about uh, the ability to go below five megahertz, but I, I the, the, it's the, uh, uh, the Doxus chipset, right? Yes. Like yeah. So I think it's, I think you can't go below right now just because of a soft, you know, software limitations, but I think eventually we'll be able to overcome that. Now, what if I want to put it in a node that has four outputs? I see why uh, you did three, because amplifiers typically have an input and three outputs. But what yeah. if it's a node that has five or in, but has four outputs? Uh, you, you, you would, you'd have to combine <laughs> two of those outputs, because we only, it's, well, actually, one, one could be on the cable modem side. Uh, so you would have the diplex filter on the cable modem side, and then you would have three that would not have the diplex filter on the cable modem side. Okay. So you could actually monitor four ports at one time. Okay. And uh, so very small form factor? Yeah, yeah, it's super small. Like I said, we, it, it even has a, a mounting kit for inside a line extender. So they make okay. mounting kits for a, a bunch of different uh, uh, bender equipment. And so does it show up as a cable modem on my CMTS? Yeah, it's just it's going to have a MAC address and an IP address. Uh, we did a nimble this. We did a um, custom development for our PNM application so that when it shows up, we automatically detect it, and we have the ports mapped on it, so you can switch between the ports and look at at them individually. Um, you, so that's automatically integrated with our PNM application. How do you control the upstream downstream level? Just a pencil pad or something? Yeah. So in there. Line with the F in the software, there are um, it gives you the ability to control and and set the uh, attenuation. So, like if you're on a 20 dB test point, you can control the attenuator, and okay. and set that reference point. I'd still want that modem to maybe transmit at 45 on the upstream. Oh yeah, yeah. So so the modem's going to do all of its. It's going to register with the CMTS and transmit at whatever level it needs to to get back to the CMTS. That's what I'm getting at is. Um, if it's only through a 20 dB test point, and it's right there at the reverse amplifier or whatever, it might only be transmitting 23. So how do I make it transmit 45? Are you saying that software control to make it transmit 45? No, I mean, at that point, you would have to put a, if you want it to transmit at a higher level, you're going to need to put a pad on it. But if you're right at the return transmitter, SNR is probably not going to be a problem. Yeah, but, well, my, my reason for having modems transmit hotter is, if that device, just like I've talked about this before, if you have devices transmitting like 35 dBmV, 20 dBmV, if they go crazy and they start transmitting 60, you know, they go in la-la land and screw everybody else up. So I'd rather have a modem operate properly close to 45. That way, if right. it does ramp up higher, it's really not going to be that much higher. Right, right. I understand what you're saying. Right. right so in the downstream, uh, the same deal, right? If, if it's right there off a test point and it's a high output amplifier 60 dbmv <laughs> and it's 20 db down test point you're hitting that thing with 40. yeah, right? yeah. so there's there's attenuators in it that you can switch in or downstream mm -hmm. yes okay all right very good all right so guys we are at the top of the hour
I want to thank you all. This was a very informative session. Great information on Doxus 3.1. Thanks for all the information. Appreciate you taking the time to be here. Any, any final thoughts? Yeah, appreciate you like hanging around. I appreciate you. Uh, let me uh, tag along with uh, you and John Brady. Jeff says the same. All right. Thanks, guys. Take care. Have a, have a good Thanksgiving. And, uh... We're going to photo ball. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, see you later.